this is the Stand Alone Podcast. It turns out you're estranged, and I had no idea who there was a term for this. I just assumed that I had a funny upbringing. I didn't think that I was entitled to any particular support. There's this kind of thing that they're your family, and you should try and do whatever you can to try and reconcile that, I guess. And I just sort of thought, you don't quite get it, that sometimes things are really painful and really toxic. For too long, it dominated my whole life. I was very passive in it all. I was just sad. I was a victim. I can see that now. My name's Jay, and I'm producing this podcast series for Standalone UK, supporting estranged adults in everyday life. What I would hope to happen in the future is that more people understand it. It's not such a taboo and that the concept of what family means changes and evolves. We need to bring this out in the open. It's like anything, isn't it? Let's bring it out in the open and find somewhere for these estranged kids to go as well. Across these episodes, 10 participants who have very kindly offered to share their experiences of family estrangement. Christmas was an immediate issue for me because my ex-wife lives only a couple of kilometres from me. I knew that my children would be within a kilometre or two of where I was for the entire Christmas period. I meet lots of asylum seekers who are separated from their families. I hope that I've been able to bring something to my profession and, and my role caring for my clients because I can relate to where they come from. Everybody that I have spoken to has had a different journey. I am a mother. I will always be a mother. But I've had to fight to hear that, to feel strong to say that because I lost my children. I. I know I'm a mother. I still feel like a mother. But in many ways, there are similarities between them. My siblings are definitely the golden children of the family. No matter what they've done, my parents have never had an issue with them. If you've experienced estrangement of any kind or any kind of unusual family dynamics, you'll be aware of it. And hopefully, throughout this podcast series, you will hear useful ideas to take away. Similar experiences for your own life understanding estrangement exists. Not trying to stick a plaster on top of it, just trying to acknowledge that it's there. Then I think people can speak. And when you've got that platform to speak out, then maybe things can transform and change in some way. We hope that you can use this podcast as a guide, as a tool, or just to listen to other experiences and to know that If you are going through estrangement yourself, you are far from alone. This is the founder of Standalone UK. Her name's Becca Bland. And the first time we met up was in Edinburgh a few weeks ago, where Becca made us a cuppa. Hi there. It's lovely tea. (laughs) Ooh, it's my favourite loose leaf green tea. Smells good. Smells (laughs) gorgeous. So I'm Becca and I'm the founder and CEO of Standalone. I've been in this role now for seven years and have built the charity from its very beginnings after my Guardian article all seven Christmases ago. So we wanted to make the podcast because we felt that so many people wanted to access our groups We now run groups in six areas of the country, but we can't be everywhere. And so many people in, say, rural Wales or the Peak District or the islands of Scotland really wanted to come to a group. 
And we just knew practically that we're never going to probably get to the Isle of Skye or the Highlands anytime soon. So the podcast is really about helping people to get a taste of what it's like to hear other people's stories. Okay, so here's the plan with the podcast. Across this series, we've recorded the voices of 10 people who have experienced estrangement. Hello, how are you doing? Hi, can you see me? <laughs> yes, so I'm, I'm ready for whatever you want to fire my way. <laughs> Hi Jay, it's Natasha. Hi, I am Blair. Hi, my name's Sarah. A-Y-S-H-A. Aisha. My name's Pippa. Hi, I'm Mina. Hello, I'm Nicola. I'm a European Commission official. My name is Yasmeen. Lovely to meet you, Grace. <laughs> and you, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> it was important to us to consider a mixture of journeys. Some people who've experienced estrangement from their parents and others from their children. The one thing a parent does when a child rejects them is to question your parenting and what happened. And frankly, it tore me apart because she took away from me everything. I, My children had been my life and suddenly I was a terrible mother and I'd done terrible things. Turns out that my mum was sort of at risk of coming to find me. She knew where I lived because she's threatened to do it. I was just being in my flat and feeling profoundly unsafe for about a week. I had to go and sleep on my boyfriend's parents' couch because that was the only place I could think that my family didn't know existed. For some, that disconnection was out of choice, whilst for others, it was a situation beyond their control. You as the estranged parent, you're, you spend hours of every day reasoning these things, working on scenarios, you know, trying to figure it all out in your head, why it's happening, why your children are thinking the way they are thinking. It was just a really difficult time in my life, and... To be honest with you, looking back, I would probably say it was quite depressed. But in that community that I was living in, within the Muslim community, mental health issues are not really recognised. Having had cancer and having had a pretty rough two years <laughs> with people dropping down dead, <laughs> I mean, me and my younger brother are like, who's next? But um, I have to look after myself. Whereas I was eaten up with it, really upset, felt like I'd lost a son, but he was still living, walking and breathing. I now feel sorry for him. So 10 of these upcoming 12 episodes of the Standalone podcast are dedicated to hearing those individual experiences. But in this introductory episode, you'll be hearing the voices of everybody across the whole series. So when I founded Standalone, there wasn't the opportunity to meet others in the same position face to face. I wrote an article for The Guardian and the response that I got was really, really interesting. Many, many people wrote to me and they said that they'd never seen anybody write about this or speak about this openly before. And it was published around Christmas time and it addressed Christmas directly of what it was like to go to somebody else's Christmas and lying about where my parents were and why I was there. In my way, that article was about coming clean, really, and saying, well, actually, no, my parents don't live in Australia. I just don't have a relationship with them. And it's very stigmatising and painful for me to say that and to be clear about that with others. I feel a lot of shame. Other people wrote to me saying that they'd never heard anybody talk about that in such truthful terms before and that they'd been living with this for many, many years. 
and that just listening to my words and hearing my words had helped them to feel a lot less alone. So I thought there was something very curious about that, that so many people felt like they were the only one. And I, at the time, had felt like the only one. It's interesting that Becca felt like she was alone, the only one going through this, because a lot of the people who you'll hear from in this series thought the same. And that's how they came across Standalone UK in the first place. I didn't realise it was nearly as common as I see it is through the standalone statistics. I think sort of one in five families are affected, which I had no idea. I felt like I was, you know, alone with it. I think it might have been searching on the internet like I did daily. I would type in estrangement until I found something that might be of any relevance. And I went to a couple of the support groups. I remember just Googling estrangement stories because I just needed to hear if there were other people that were going through the same thing. I remember thinking, I wonder if there is like a self-help group. And I just put that into Google and Standalone was the first one that came up and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I think I was just sort of searching for answers on the internet, trying to find people in similar situations to me. And I just sort of found them just by accident and I was so excited when I saw oh they do workshops in London. You have this suspicion that it's only it's only you that can be experiencing this so even though I was seeing the therapist I, I immediately started to look around me for uh, for information on estrangement uh, to try and get a handle of, of how how to deal with this, both from a point of view of how to approach it with the kids, but also um, how to cope with it myself. The thing is, if you're going about your everyday life and things aren't happening to you, why would you bother to find out about them? Unless you're an academic doing a research on it, why would you bother? And then suddenly, bang, something happens to you and you think, oh, and then you go to find out, don't you? And actually, I was quite surprised at how common it is now. I think that's something to do with the way we're living or the fact that it's more spoken about, maybe. It's coming out in the open. It's not there enough, but it's coming out in the open. That is another thought that came up from people I've spoken to, that people felt like they were alone going through the experience and they didn't know of any other people who had. Yeah. And so just searching for that resource online was the, the reason that they, they were led to stand alone in the first place. Yeah. I think there's been a reticence to recognise it and research it, which is why it's become an issue that's, until fairly recently, people hadn't really researched this issue yeah. and given it a kind of very professional, understood, well-backed-up theoretical approach, which meant that then we didn't see this as being recognised as something that people were really going through. Because until you get it recognised in the research world, and until it becomes something that's more talked about for those people who are understanding well-being or understanding like family relationships, it means that it's not often talked about with professionals and it's not something that's studied when people are training as professionals. So therefore it all lives somewhat underground. Whereas I think a big part of what Standalone wanted to do was to get more research out about this, to use the following we have to really get a lot more perspectives formally into research papers and out there into the world about what it's like not to have contact with a family member and why it's necessary sometimes and why it's painful, why it's isolating, but also why it can be freeing. I'm hoping that that's the same for, for this podcast as well. It's a key part of why you've asked me to come on board and produce this podcast 
It's making those experiences shared. Yes. And adding to this pool and this wider understanding of people go through this. Yeah. And you're not alone in that. Yeah. So, so to everybody who's been able to share their own story, I really respect that they've been, that everybody that you'll hear across these episodes, willing to contribute to this and to dig into their own paths in order to add to this. Absolutely. And it takes a lot of work to actually feel brave enough to come and share your story to other people. And that is something that the movement that we've created with Standalone of helping people to feel less isolated is really benefiting from. Not only for people in this podcast, but there's been so many people in our community who've shared their experiences in blogs or in media pieces, online on the radio and and things like that. And those people are helping others to feel less alone. And that is something that we can only be very thankful for. The worst thing is when you tell people, people are like, oh, imagine not having family around. Like you can't not have family around and everyone falls out with their families and families argue all the time. So actually this is just normal. I even had this conversation with someone a few days ago and her question was, do you ever think you'll contact your parents again? And I said to her, I was like, you need to reframe that question because why is that the only outcome? Like why when presented with people who have treated someone else pretty badly, actually, why is the only outcome that you should go back to them? Like, and, th- and that's why it's really hard to talk about it sometimes because people have this very linear binary idea of what it means to have a family and what it means to be in this situation. I find that aspect of it really, really tough. And it comes back to this media angle, I think, somehow too, where media outlets tell us a lot what to think about this issue and tell us that we should want to reconcile and we should want to try and fix things. Whereas actually that can be quite damaging and not very helpful for people. And really, I would encourage the media to keep much more of an open mind about letting people decide for themselves what's best about their relationships. And that seems to be at the centre of some of the stigma that people often encounter Mm. is that other people don't understand, well, why don't you want to bridge this connection again? Yeah. And that that mindset seems to be really prevalent that you should want to reconnect. Yeah. But then the people that write those articles with respect have not been through what people here might listening to may have been through. And so it's very hard to generalize about this issue. And it's very, very hard to understand everybody's point of view here. Yeah, I feel like there is a stigma around it. Our society as a whole wants to believe in the happy nuclear family, particularly at Christmas. Someone saying a word like estrangement really threatens that image. And And then people find it difficult to deal with and therefore don't like to talk about it, don't like to hear the word or sometimes just come up with really sort of awkward responses and difficulties in themselves, I guess, in responding to it that I then find personally challenging, you know, just sort of asking lots of questions about it or just trying to change the subject really quickly. It never feels like an easy conversation to have. 
I think that when people say those things, it comes from a place of a sensationalism that people want to put a good convincing story out there that plays to a certain audience and b to be very sentimental we tend to be very sentimental about family family should always be together and we should always try and fix a family relationship that's broken then it's almost like you can't move something without both people wanting to be moved and so it's not as simple as saying that one person could fix it in many ways as someone where I work who's a bit older than me was suddenly sort of asking me some stuff around it. And when she heard me say that I wasn't in contact with my family, it obviously touched part of her own experience or her own story. It was almost like she was quite sort of overly greedy for information about it. And it transpired that she had some friends whose children were estranged from them. And I think she felt that maybe like by asking me lots of questions, she could sort of find out the the answer to that situation rather than appreciating the fact that obviously every situation is incredibly different. It left me feeling awful and well, A, I couldn't provide her with what she was looking for and B, I didn't want to go fully into my own. She was asking very basic, very sort of crass questions and I just felt like saying it's much more complex than that. Human relationships are complex. I don't know. I think I was just surprised by the lack of understanding of what a a difficult emotional topic it is to talk about. And then we have spoken to somebody who's written a whole piece of creative art. Yeah. About their experience. Yeah, lots of people doing these creative writing exercises. Yeah. Their biggest fear was marrying somebody out of the culture, I think. That that was their number one biggest fear. And, and leaving home before getting married. And, of course, the big one, going and getting pregnant. You know, so they would hear from other aunties and uncles at the temple, you know, that so-and-so, so-and-so's daughter went to university, left home, and now she has a white boyfriend and, you know, all that, that kind of stuff. That's what they were scared of. My dad would always say, you know, don't don't put a stain on my turban, you know, you're going to stain this house. Maybe I'm making a sweeping statement in terms of our culture because I know I've you know I've got friends whose parents are completely different. My parents are just very very old fashioned. They would say it's not your life; it's your parents' life. We work with so many young women, particularly from South Asian backgrounds, who have just for one reason or another felt that they can step out of that and have made very brave choices. But it can be very easy to be dragged back in. And there's a huge culture of shame that forced marriage campaigners such as Shaheen Hashmat and Karma Nirvana have been talking about now for a couple of decades. That's really important to realise is that honour, shame and the system that surrounds that means that young people can't often speak out about really, really difficult and horrific abusive experiences that they're going through. I wrote about being in this dilemma with my family and within the the piece of writing that I did I also talked about a lot of the childhood trauma they read it and you know they weren't happy obviously they weren't happy you know some people sort of said oh why didn't you consult them and I just sort of thought well I don't speak to them we don't have that relationship and also it's my story and I should be allowed to tell my story I'd change names and all this kind of thing. I'd done all of that, but obviously it's written by me and they know that I'm talking about, and they know that I'm talking about the family. Do you find that 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 writing process, and I know that this comes from you as well, like this is the whole beginning of Standalone as a charity, this link between 
writing about it and expressing it. Yeah, I think that there's an aspect of processing that happens in the same way as processing happens in the therapy room with a counsellor or a therapist. Processing can happen when you're writing and when you're creating something about this work. And if you look at lots and lots of novels and fictional pieces of writing, estrangement is a huge theme throughout those pieces. And I almost feel that estrangement as an issue, like family breakdown and estrangement, has almost been sidelined into fiction and into literature because that's where we've best been able to talk about it to date and process it. And it's informed so many people's lives that it will come out in these mediums, these creative mediums, such as films, novels, fiction. But here we are sharing not fictional stories, but real experiences from people through these podcast episodes, adding to that pool of, no, actually, this is real. And a lot of people experience estrangement. And I think that's why we need to have more of a name and a face attached to this as something that people actually go through. Because if we keep it in the world of fiction, in the world of film, then it becomes something that isn't necessarily real. And it's only something that happens in that very fictionalised world. Whereas this happens in the real world to so many people that we need to talk about it and we need to address it as a social issue and as a real experience that people are living. I think it's easy to miss just how difficult it can be to talk about estrangement to people and how how much stigma people feel about that often. People have developed the habit of obfuscating or not talking about their situation. (laughs) We should probably introduce Jonathan. So my name is Jonathan Stockwell. I'm a qualified counsellor. I've been working with Standalone really just for the last half year, helping to set up a support group in Edinburgh. I'm also interested in estrangement as a a researcher, so I'm about to start some research on father-son estrangement. That should take me on quite a journey, I think. So Jonathan joined Becca and I in Edinburgh. And like Becca, you'll hear his voice weaving in and out throughout the podcast series. It's a cold old morning in Edinburgh. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it is cold and crisp. Have you been on the big wheel yet? No, not yet. All the, all no, the chairs no. that spin around. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they're quite high. So we'd long been wanting to expand into Scotland and bring support groups up to the Scottish community who had always asked us over Twitter, over our newsletter for a group, mm. basically. We always wanted to scale quite slowly and quite sustainably. And so our support groups would come when they were ready, in a sense. So I found it was great to meet someone who we felt would really run the group well and who had that touch that we think is really important of being non-judgmental, being understanding and having an interest in the area. And how have the groups gone? Well, they seem to be going very well. The discussions seem to be very productive. The participants seem to get on very well being able to listen to different perspectives and accept that there might be different perspectives. There might be people who have chosen to be estranged or there might be people who haven't made that choice and whose relatives have estranged from them. And having those two perspectives in the room and being able to hear them respectfully and realising that people aren't talking about your situation but their own situation and each situation is unique. Yeah. In a strange way, it's quite comforting to know that you're not alone and what you're going through, there are countless other people who are going through the same. 
but these communities are amazing they're so supportive it is really nice finding that kind of support from a group of strangers who you've never met but you all have this one thing that you've got in common and you're going to use it to build each other up and and be there for each other Something that I've found since working in this issue now for seven years is that every family estrangement is completely different. And it's very hard to identify set patterns and set reasons for absolutely everybody as to why this happens. Because every family is comprised of very different human beings and therefore the factors at play are very different. Absolutely. Some of the emotions that come up are quite common or shared by many people but the actual specific circumstances and the dynamics between in the relationships they're they're always absolutely unique as well and it's rarely only about two individuals it's quite often about the wider family too I think it's often a very complex situation yeah and in the community I've often noticed that people want us sometimes to take sides and tell us that they want us to say that certain generations of people are right or wrong or have often become the people that are strange because they're individualistic or narcissistic and I find that very hard to advocate for that an entire generation is to blame for family estrangement developing. Mm. Uh, What what kind of generational aspects is it then that that people tend to pick out? I think there's a sense that the younger generation are a lot more narcissistic and individualistic in their outlook. So family relationships have become less obligatory and are a lot more about I suppose serving mm. serving your emotional health and serving aspects of your lives. Mm. Whereas I think for previous generations, family relationships were seen as non-voluntary mm. and something that you had to maintain no matter what circumstances or experiences you'd had in that area. Mm. All of a sudden I started having just the most severe mental health issues. And these went on for years and I didn't know what was happening like I had no concept of mental health because it just wasn't something my family don't believe in it effectively they don't particularly understand my mental health I find it very difficult to try and explain to them because I think they see mental health as a weakness or um, something you should be able to overcome you know my mum was at pains to ask whether I was born like that I don't have the answers other than If it's a chemical imbalance, there's chemicals that help to settle me. When you have somebody in your family who won't get support that they need and who keeps leaning on other family members, that's going to take its toll on the family as a whole. Having a mental health issue is no different from having a physical injury like a broken leg. You wouldn't expect family members to deal with a broken leg. You would go to the hospital and get help. It's unfair for other family members to have to deal with that. Because even though they sit there and they say, we're okay with our upbringing, I don't know what your problem is, they're not okay. They're not okay. It's clear. They all have mental health issues. They all do. But instead, I got the, how dare you? How dare you air our dirty laundry? Who the hell do you think you are? Well, we all have the same upbringing and we're all okay. So I don't know what your problem is. Clearly, you weren't happy growing up. Yeah, why is it? Why is it that I've had such a problem all my life with my mental health you know it is me so much guilt so much shame I was just really shamed basically none of them said I made it up they just said I had no right I had no right talking about it and I think it's everybody's right to make that choice if that's what they need and that's what 
is going to help them to grow. And I often get really personally criticized for advocating for family breakup, for example, because I say that people should have the choice of how they manage their family relationships. But what I do feel is that if you have this setup where everything's obligatory and unconditional, it allows people, they don't grow because they never face the impact of their own sadness often and their own difficulties Often people who behave abusively often have their own journey to go on and they need to understand very clearly that what they're doing has an impact on others and that if it doesn't become in some way better or people don't work on some of those issues with people, they aren't going to grow and they aren't going to be able to retain relationships. At least that's my view. Well, I think we're talking about pressure, aren't we, really? I think we're talking about pressure from outside. We're talking about social pressure that people feel to to stay in those relationships. We're talking about those big narratives of family that, that actually create the pressure to stay. And there can be pressure at a very individual level from, from family members to stay, too. And it's about how people respond to those pressures and, where possible, helping them to understand that they have choices, that they can stay and struggle with those pressures, they can uh, remove themselves from that position. And and none of those choices are easy, I think, for most people. So I, I think it's about helping people to, to, to think through what the implications of different choices are going to be as well. Um, and none of them are easy. No, I often hear it described as the the best of all worst options that they have. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's this talk of empowerment and, and choice, which is, which is great and very affirming. But I think, you know, we also have to recognise that those choices are, are difficult and people are going to be left with feelings to process whichever decision they make, frustrations and tensions from having to, to stay in a relationship that they're not happy in. And also, I think people often report guilt from leaving, loneliness to families come up in so many conversations. Casual questions come up about families. And sometimes you can't give a simple answer without going into the whole backstory. And so it's quite tempting to either invent or give a false answer. It's easy to develop a kind of habit of obscuring it and hiding it because you can't trust people to understand the complexity and to understand how difficult it is to resolve those situations and the number of people who've, you know, who've said when they've talked to friends or neighbours about it, well, why don't you just give him a call? Why don't you just, why, you know, surely it's not that hard. On it. And, you know, it, it's hard for people who, who, who haven't experienced those very complex, knotted family situations to really understand what it feels like. So that the groups provide a place where everybody understands that. Yeah. And I think also there's that big thrust in the media towards getting on the phone and just having a call and yeah. just getting back in touch like it is the simplest thing. Yeah. And I think there's an assumption too that these things break down for very casual reasons, you know, a simple kind of tiff or disagreement, whereas often these are really deep-seated, long-standing conflicts within families that maybe come to a head with one argument, but they've been brewing or they've been kind of building up for many, many years. And as you rightly acknowledge, how do you really describe that and how do you explain that? Mm -hmm. And often people just want to hear about the crescendo moment of when did you 
cut contact and did you tell them why and what happened in that last moment whereas actually what's behind it is so much longer and more deep-seated than that one thing that may have tipped somebody over the edge. Standalone is a really small charity and I started the charity seven years ago and have built it up to what it is now, which is supporting people in six different locations and also running a national campaign for students to get them more support and visibility in their higher education process. We've done a huge amount in such a small time. What we really need to ensure that we are around in the long term and that we can scale properly is more donations from people like you. If you support charities, you'll know that there are bigger charities that ask for donations all the time on TV, on billboards, on the tube, on the bus, and they have really huge campaigns. This is great, but as a small charity, we can't afford those kind of campaigns. So we're asking you, our committed listeners who are impacted by this issue, to support the charity. And if you can set up a monthly donation of just five or ten pounds, it makes a huge difference to what we can do for you. If you go to our Just Giving site, which is www.justgiving.com slash standalone, then you can make a donation, a one-off donation, and also set up a monthly donation if you're able to. Your funds go a really long way to help people with this niche issue, and it means a lot to me as a founder to see other people supporting the charity. A lot of people think that support should just be with them, but we really need everyone to contribute to make sure that this support can scale and grow and reach as many people as possible. So this Christmas, please do consider giving a monthly donation to Standalone or giving us a one-off Christmas present donation on the Just Giving site. Thank you. Welcome to the Standalone podcast. We scratch the surface today, talking about some of the major topics you can expect over the series. But there's so much more we want to address. Stigmas, coping strategies, books and resources, creative outlets, dealing with the holiday period, looking forward at the year ahead, and so much more. But starting in the very next episode, we'll be hearing people's journeys in entirety, weaving in our conversations with Becca Bland and Jonathan Stockwell. Next time, our second episode, meet Natasha. Here's an extract of Natasha's journey. It's hard to listen to, but important to be heard. I am 32 and I have been estranged from my parents for about five years now. I was a constant source of disappointment because, especially to my mum, because I wasn't a boy. I heard a lot of that when I was growing up. And um, my dad, I still miss him a lot, actually. He basically treated me like I was a boy. Like I wasn't allowed to play football or whatever, because only boys can play football. But like he taught me, like we would build furniture together and he taught me how to rewire a plug and and all of this sort of thing. And the older I got, the more I wasn't right. Like I just wasn't right for my family. Like I just wasn't feminine enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't smart enough. There's so many occasions where like I would push back and then it would be awful and then it'd be fine. And then we'd go back to the status quo. 
and I remember saying my parents like no no you're 27 you're too close to being 30 after you're 30 who's going to want to be with you or marry you you're already so difficult as a person and and my mum has already like had said that to me my whole life like she said that I'm too argumentative like no man would ever want me I'd be lucky if anyone would put up with me and again it was one of those other moments where my heart it just completely broke I was like imagine being told that and I said would you rather I were married and unhappy or unmarried but happy and thriving and my parents are like well to be honest as long as you're married it doesn't really matter If you are feeling lower than normal or need immediate support with your well-being at this time of year, please call Samaritans for free on 116-123 or make an emergency appointment with your GP. Standalone UK are such a small charity and so they cannot give out individual advice. If you want to talk about the podcast, head online and go to their Twitter page at UK Standalone to join in the discussion. Remember that Standalone has lots of advice on their website as part of their guides. The Standalone podcast was produced by me, Jay Sykes, for Becca Bland of Standalone UK.